Good morning. My name is Pastor Dan. I'm the worship pastor here. If you have your Bible, I'd encourage you to turn to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 verse 16 is where we're going to be this morning. The question on the table is simply this. Why do we sing? Why do Christians live the the way that they live? Why are Christians called to do the things that they do? Like, think about singing for a second. Where else in society, where, where else in culture do people gather together and sing? Maybe at a concert, right? If we really enjoy the music. Maybe if you were like a, a, raised in a musical family, you, you gathered around a piano and sang Christmas carols. Hey, maybe at the seventh inning stretch, you sing with the organ, Right? Maybe something like that. But but is there any other place that we gather together and sing? Why do we do the things that we do? Why do we live the way that we live? Christian, the, the gospel that saved us is the same gospel that shapes us. The gospel that saved us is the gospel that transforms us. In the text this morning, we're going to see three ways the gospel shapes us. I'll read the passage, we'll pray, and we'll dive in this morning. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. In whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father through him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your good and perfect word. Lord, we thank you that you have given us this truth. Lord, help us to rest in it. Help us to delight in it. Shape and fashion us more into the image of Christ. Guide us this morning. And Lord, as we hear your word, may we be obedient to it. In Jesus' precious name, amen. So the first way the gospel shapes us is that we are at home in the gospel. We are at home in the gospel. Look again at the first half of verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So what does the Apostle Paul point us to? He points us to the holy and errant word of God that is trustworthy and true. But the Bible is not just a collection of stories. It's not about a bunch of different people at a bunch of different places. No, the Bible points us to one person. The Bible points us to Jesus, who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. It points us to the gospel. Now, I've used that word several times this morning, and many of you know what that is. But it's such an important message, it bears repeating. God is holy. God is perfect. God is pure. If we can wrap our minds around this, God existed before time began. It kind of makes our brain hurt, right? God existing before time began. And we can see with the James Webb telescope all these different galaxies, trillions of miles apart, God spoke and they were created this perfect holy pure god created us 
and we rebelled against him. And that doesn't mean we're just kind of broken people trying to figure our way out. No, we're sinners. Apart from Christ in our own natural state, we are rebels. We are enemies of God. We deserve the full wrath of God. We deserve the full punishment of God because of our sin. Sin separates us from God. So we deserve death, and we deserve an eternity in hell because of our sin. There's nothing we can do to save ourselves. We can't walk enough little old ladies across the street. We can't give enough. We can't attend church enough. There's nothing we can do to save ourselves. God knew our hopelessness, and he sovereignly condescended. And the second person of the Trinity came to earth, Jesus. He's fully God, fully man. And we're tempted, and we fail, and we sin. Jesus was tempted in every way that we were, but without sin. And though we deserve to die, Jesus died in our place, satisfying the wrath of God. But here's the glorious reality. We just celebrated a couple weeks ago. Jesus rose from the dead and is reigning well and sits at the right hand of God the Father. And so if we admit that we are sinners, that we are rebels, we believe that Jesus is the only way. And we repent and confess Jesus as Savior and Lord, we will be saved. In that confession, we're all the boss of our lives, right? But when we, we confess Jesus as Lord, we say, Lord, I want you to be the boss. I want to follow after you. And that is the gospel. That is the good news. And the Apostle Paul says, hey, fix your attention on that. But not only fix your attention on it, let it dwell richly in you. To dwell means to be at home. And we all know what that means, right? To be at home somewhere. So yesterday, my, my grass is starting to green up, so I had to cut grass. And so that's kind of fun sometimes, but like in August, that's no fun. That's no bueno. Come on. You guys know. Like it just gets hot and sticky. And it's just gross, and there's mosquitoes everywhere. And like I live on Carlisle Hill, so my house is kind of built into the hill at this 45-degree angle. And I'm cheap, and I only have a push mower. So like I'm like trying to mow this hill with my push mower. And it's just afterwards, you're just disgusting. And you're, it's just it's just not fun, not fun. But you guys, there's nothing better than when you mow and then you get clean, you put on comfy clothes. Many of you guys probably have a basement. I have a basement. It's like five degrees cooler in the basement, right? And so you go down to the basement, you have like an ice cold water, and you just sit, you just go, ah, you can relax, you're at home, you're at rest. The Apostle Paul says, let the gospel be at home, be at home in the gospel. But he adds that qualifier, richly, which is abundantly rich. So, so really, what's the idea that the Apostle Paul is trying to convey? The Apostle Paul is saying, invite the gospel into your home and allow the gospel to completely rearrange your furniture. Let it change the carpet. Let it paint the walls. Let it completely change your life. Be at home in the gospel and let it completely transform you. So you may be asking the question, Dan, okay, I understand the gospel is important. I get that. I, I mean, that's the whole reason we're here, right? That's the whole basis of the Christian faith. And I understand, if I'm a Christian, I have accepted Jesus as my Savior and Lord. I understand the gospel. But isn't that like the 101 kind of stuff? Why on earth are you harping on this, man? 
Well, think about the context of this passage. In Colossians chapter 3, we're called to kill sin. And it's important in our lives to set up systems so that we avoid temptation, right? We need to have accountability in our life. We need to be using systems to help kill sin in our lives. But our Christian life is not just that. In order to kill sin in our lives, we have to look to Jesus. We have to look to the beauty and glory of Jesus. We have to fix our attention on Jesus. And when we do that, when we fix our attention on the gospel, those hooks of sin that are so easily ensnared in us, they loosen their hold. The appetite that we had for sin starts to die. I love the old lyric of the hymn, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. To kill sin, we have to fix our attention on the gospel. We also, in that passage in verse 13, or chapter 13 rather, we're called to put on righteousness. And it's important for us to have spiritual disciplines. It's important for us to stay up a little later, turn off the TV, read the Bible, or get up a little earlier and read the Bible. It's important for us to have discipline in our lives. But we're not just disciplining ourselves so that we earn a gold star with God or look super smart at church. No, we discipline ourselves so that we fall greater in love with Jesus. We love and delight in Jesus. That's the whole point of spiritual disciplines, that we learn more and that we love more. And if we do that, goodness and the fruits of the Spirit will naturally overflow out of us. The Apostle Paul was writing Ephesians at the same time that he was writing Colossians. He was in prison, so he was writing letters to both churches. And so Ephesians 5 parallels Colossians 3. And so in Ephesians 5, he tells the church at Ephesus, live a spirit-filled life. And when we live a spirit-filled life, that's two sides of the same coin. To let the word of Christ dwell in us richly and to live a spirit-filled life, two sides of the same coin. Because when we let the gospel be at home in us, the Holy Spirit naturally works through us. So Christian, this morning, may we delight in the word of God. May we regularly cherish the word of God. There are so many resources out there. We could spend the rest of our time together talking about all the different resources that are available to us, but find a resource that preaches the gospel to you and helps you cherish the gospel. So first, the way the gospel shapes us is that we are at home in the gospel. But there's also corporate implications. There's implications for us as church, as a church family. Let's read the second half of verse 16 together. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So the gospel is at home in us and that overflows to our brothers and sisters in Christ. So it overflows in two different ways. First, we teach and admonish. We teach and admonish. To teach is to encourage somebody. If you see a brother and sister having a rough time, we encourage them with the word of God. If someone is in need of prayer, we pray scripture over them. If someone's wrestling with a decision, we take them 
to Scripture. We're teaching our brothers and sisters, but also we admonish. That's having tough conversations. That's having crucial conversations. It's seeing your brother or sister kind of stray away from the truth and graciously and gently bringing them back with Scripture. And that may feel weird to us. We may want to shy away from having crucial conversations. We may want to shy away from encouraging people with the Bible. But here's the thing. Culture, if you watch culture, people just struggle to have any sort of definite reality. Like people want to say, this is my truth, and then you go live your truth. Right? People, people don't want to have an objective reality. This is our standard. We can have assurance that this is the bedrock. This is truth. And we can base our lives on the word of God. We can have that assurance. So, Christian, have confidence in the word of God. So we're to teach and admonish, but here's the qualifier. We do so wisely. So, what does that mean? We teach wisely when we dispense wisdom in a correct context. So let's say someone in our church is just, just really struggling, is really wrestling with sin, is really wrestling with grieving. It's just, it's just processing grief, and that person in our church is just mad at God. He's mad at someone in church. He's just saying things that just aren't true. Okay, at that moment, that's not the time to say, well, your premise is this, and my premise is A, B, and C. Therefore, you are wrong, and you must repent and come over here. No, that's not the time to unleash and dispense wisdom or dispense knowledge. We weep with those who weep. We mourn with those who mourn. We are present. And sometimes the most wise thing to say is nothing at all and just being present and available for our church family. So wisely dispense knowledge, but also don't mix in our own kind of folk wisdom. So in the context of this passage, there is a false teacher who's infiltrated the church at Colossae. Now, we can take our best guess, but we don't know exactly what this false teacher was teaching. But, okay, here's our best hypothesis. So hang with me. There's this guy who is a false teacher. He knows enough about Judaism to be dangerous and then he knows a lot about folk mysticism. So what does that look like? What this guy would do is sell charms, sell necklaces, sell bracelets. And it would basically say, may the angel Gabriel and Athaliel protect you from famine. Protect you from X. And this is what this false teacher was trying to do. And it sounds kind of spiritual, right? Okay, it sounds, okay, that... that but it's wrong. And the Apostle Paul is addressing that and saying, no, that is not true. And we would look at this ancient people and be like, oh, I would never do that. <laughs> How often do we mix in our own foolishness? How often do we mix in our own foolishness that we're, we're trying to help, but it really doesn't help? Christian, rest on the sufficiency of the word of God. As we teach and admonish one another, may we do so wisely with boldness and confidence that the Bible is enough. So, the gospel's at home in our lives. 
It overflows as we teach and admonish one another. And then we also sing. And you may think to yourself, sing, really? Of all the things we could do, why on earth do we sing? You know, like, not everybody's a musical person, right? Not, I grew up in a house, nobody was musical. We didn't really have a lot of singing. I was kind of like the, the one different kid that kind of really got into music. But family was not musical. So why does God call us to sing? Singing matters because it matters to God. Did you know that God himself sings? In Zephaniah 3, God the Father sings over his children. At the Last Supper, what did Jesus do? He sang a hymn with, with his disciples. And as I mentioned earlier in Ephesians 5, the life of a, spirit, a spirit-filled person is marked by singing. Singing matters because it matters to God, right? And God's people have always been singing people. When Eve was created, Adam sang. Now granted, he sang to his wife, but he still sang. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. When the Israelites were freed from slavery, what did they do? They sang. When, when David saw the Ark of the Covenant come back to Israel, he sang. He sang in every season of life. So God's people have always been a singing people. You may ask yourself, okay, why? Why, why singing? I don't necessarily have a great voice, Dan. Why would God want us to sing? Why is that so important? Here's the beautiful thing. God, in his glory and his wisdom, acts. He's given us his good word. He's given us the gospel. The Holy Spirit opens our eyes, and we we realize this truth. We realize that God has just so graciously blessed us, and then we have this joy. And and the great thing about the church is we've gathered as brothers and sisters, and we're reminding ourselves of this great joy that we have. And then in the midst of that, we exalt Christ, and we praise Christ. So here's the bottom line of why singing is so important. It has a vertical aspect. We can praise the Lord in our singing, it also has a ver- uh, or horizontal implication. We encourage one another. We build one another up. We, we teach one another and admonish one another when we sing. And we also can bring glory to the Lord. That is the great joy. That's the, great, that's the reason that singing is such a valuable tool. So what does Christian singing look like? Well, we have these basic guardrails of what Christian singing should look like in the text. Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So a psalm is what you would find in your Bible, the 150 poems that you'd see right in the middle. These are divinely inspired poems written by David and others. They express a wide range of emotion. You also have hymns. You may be thinking, wait, hymns? Now, hold on. So Amazing Grace let's define our terms here. Amazing Grace was written in the 1700s by an English dude. So let's kind of define what's a hymn. A hymn is a song that teaches on the character and nature of Jesus. It teaches on the character and nature of Jesus. An example of a Christian hymn is Colossians 1, 15 through 20. Christ is the image of the invisible God. Or Philippians 2, have this mind among yourselves, which is those in Christ Jesus. So that's a a hymn. A spiritual song is simply a testimony song 
a song that, that is talking about who Jesus is and, and how he has worked in your life. And this is not a prescription. It's not saying you have to sing a psalm, hymn, and spiritual song every Sunday, okay? God's not saying that. So, but what matters in our singing? Two things matter in our singing. Number one, the content of our songs matter. We can't sing songs that could double as a love song for our, our spouse, okay? We, it can't be that ambiguous. We can't sing songs that a Mormon could sing or a person who practices Judaism could sing. No, our singing must be exclusively Christian. In light of the cross, we must sing. So our songs have to be centered on Jesus. They must be exclusively Christian. And, and the Lord also cares about our heart. We're supposed to sing with thankfulness in our heart. May we be a people who sing passionately. May we be a, a, a people who sing with gratitude and joy. May we regularly confess sin so we can remove any barriers in our fellowship with the Lord. And may we just delight in the Lord and sing to him. May that characterize our singing as a church. So we let the gospel at home. We, we keep the gospel at home in us. It overflows. We teach and admonish. And we sing. And finally, how does the gospel shape us? Read with me in verse 17. In whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So what are we called to do? How does the gospel shape us? It makes us an ambassador for Jesus. It makes us an ambassador for Jesus. And there's two characteristics in verse 17 of being an ambassador for the gospel. First, ambassadors do everything in the name of Jesus. All right, so I have a buddy of mine, and he works for the Coca-Cola company. And a super cool guy, super great guy, great family man, uh, just a great husband. But he is serious about his Coca-Cola. I kind of want to get a Mountain Dew just to mess with him. Just be like, come on, man. Have you tried ski? Come on, y'all. It's some good stuff. But like, if, he, if there is a drink other than water in his house, it's Coca-Cola. He's serious about his Coca-Cola. And I was having a conversation about it with him. He's like, man, my bosses are even more serious about Coke. So there's one, one time, there's some contractors working on a Coca-Cola building. And the contractors took a break for lunch, and they were drinking something other than a Coke product. And the boss came up and said, hey, I need you to, I need you to get rid of that. I will buy you any other drink as long as it's a Coke product. I, I'm going to need you to get rid of that. That's kind of crazy. Like, it's pop, right? Like, come on. <laughs> and that's kind of a goofy story. But, but here's kind of the reality that I think is helpful for us. What if we took the name of Jesus that seriously? What would the world look like if we took the name of Jesus that seriously? Doing something in the name of Jesus means representing Jesus and being empowered to do so. When we ask questions uh, and making decisions, we ask this question, can I really do this if I'm representing the Lord Jesus? 
Now, there's a lot of different ways that we can apply this passage this morning. But we're going to apply it in something that we're going to do pretty immediately. Everybody goes out to lunch after church, right? And unfortunately, here's, here's the reality. There are comedians, there are social media influencers, there's blogs all about the post-church crowd. And here's the unfortunate reality. People characterize us as rude, as impatient, as terrible tippers. What would being an ambassador of Christ look like? And I get it. In a post-COVID world, dude, everything's just a little terrible, right? Everybody's short-staffed. If you walk down Bridge Street, you're going to get slapped in the face with an application, right? Like, I understand that there, everybody's short-staffed, and it's just, it's tough on the customer end. It's tough on the employee end. It's just, it, everyone is in a tough situation. I get that. But what would an ambassador of Christ look like in those spaces? And I'm not saying that we just be a doormat. Oh, I went to Captain D's and I got a brisket taco. Oh, well. I mean, brisket taco sounds delicious. But like, no, you, you get your fish. You get your right order. You, 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 right? You, you stand up for yourself. But you do so graciously. You do so kindly. You do so patiently. You do so generously. And maybe in that space and in that moment, we're able to have a faith conversation. We're able to say to our waiter and waitress, hey, I'm going to pray over my meal. Is there anything I can pray for you specifically? And maybe through your kindness and graciousness, you're able to have a faith conversation with that person. May we be ambassadors for Jesus. Also, being an ambassador for Jesus means that we live in an overflow of thanksgiving. Look at the second half of that passage again. Doing, doing everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. It's really interesting in, in being a parent. Christmas isn't about you. I mean, ultimately, okay, so I'm preaching right now, so it's ultimately about Jesus. We get that. Christmas is about Jesus. But like, you know, when you're giving out presents, okay? So let's talk about that. It shifts from like, hey, I'm going to get something to seeing the joy in your kid's face when they get something, right? And if you're raising your kid, you know when a, when a parent or a, a present lands versus when it doesn't. Like if a kid opens up a present and he gets socks, and be like, thanks, right? But here's the great thing. My kids are getting to the age where they're starting to want stuff. And, and like when you finally get something that they've just so much, they just wanted, they've just been like really excited about, and they open that present, man, their face lights up. They're really filled with joy. They're really filled with gratitude. That thanks is completely different than the Ah, thanks. It's like, wow, thanks, Dad. Like, you, you see the, them just light up. You see that joy in their life. And they're like, man, thank you. And they're just in that moment, they're just really, really happy. Christians, may we be children of God that live with an overflow of gratitude to God the Father. May we run to God the Father. Jesus is our great mediator, right? On the cross, the curtain is torn. 
and we have access to God the Father. So may we run to him with boldness. May we run to him with joy. May we run to him with fear and awe. And may we just delight in who the Lord is. And may we just live in overflow of gratitude. Why do we do that? When we live in gratitude, our perspective on life changes. The, 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 the annoying things, the, the junk of our lives, while they are real and while they are frustrating, we're able to look at them and say, but look at what Jesus is. Look at the great joy and the great hope I have. And when we do that, you know, the, the frustrating thing isn't so frustrating. So where are we at this morning? If you are kind of kicking the tires on the Christian faith, the response to the gospel should be, Lord, I want to confess you as Savior and Lord. Or maybe for you today, the, the response is, hey, I need to be a better ambassador for Christ. I need to have faith conversations. Or maybe for you, it's to teach and admonish your, your friend or someone within your circle of influence here in the church to encourage them with the word of God. Or maybe you simply just need to sing and pour out your praise to the Father wherever you're at this morning. May we be a people who are obedient and will follow the leading of Scripture. I'm going to pray for us and we'll respond. So I encourage you to respond however the Lord is leading you. Dear Lord, we thank you for this morning. God, we thank you for your good and perfect and holy word. God, I pray that you would just bless us. God, as we strive to honor you with our lives, may we be conformed to the image of your Son. God, may we not be just hearers of the word, but God, may we be doers of your good and perfect word. Guide us, strengthen us, help us. Lord, we need you. So God, help us to be obedient to you, to your word, to your truth. And let us live lives changed by the gospel. In Jesus' precious name, amen.